0: psychology podcast 2022 not a good start oh man more damn covid a couple family members got bit by that that's some somber news this week bob saget right here in orlando here for a show apparently found dead at the age of 65 for those of you remember bob saget uh, he was on Full House. He also did the funniest thing he did was the America's Funniest Home Videos show, which uh, was amazing and uh, one of the funniest guys I've ever seen. So, um, and the fact that they found him here in Orlando is really sad. Unsure the cause of death, but 65 um, is too early. And then today I just figured out that uh, one of my best friends from high school. Uh, apparently died this week, age 48. Betty White, 100. That's not a bad ride. Not a good way to start off the year. Not a good way. However, we're gonna keep plowing ahead, right? That's that's all we can do here on the litigation psychology. Podcast, my uh, by the way, uh, Dr. Wood, he's gonna join me uh, tomorrow. Steve Wood um, feels horrible. He's been tested twice, negative both times. but right now he's hopefully laying in bed with a cup of tea and a bag of cough drops. I went through that for three weeks. It was awful. This lingers, lingers, lingers. I'm at about ninety seven percent. Still got that three percent. you can hear it. Very sinusy. It's annoying. Knowing as hell my rant today my rant today is about christmas lights well first of all i just despise christmas in the first place it's really um i think it's the worst holiday right and all the stuff that you get but it's really for kids i get it but christmas lights okay uh, many of people have fallen off ladders okay and now have serious injuries from putting up christmas lights it's a very dangerous thing And it's a real pain. It's a real pain. So today is, now we'll post this next week. Today is January 11th. And she wants me to help take down Christmas lights all day today. I've got podcasting to do. I got client calls to make. And putting away the Christmas lights is is, is the absolute worst. Okay? Absolute worst. So I got to do that later to try to remain out of the doghouse. I tell you what, the, the person... Okay, because I got neighbors and they do this for Easter. They do this for Halloween. They do this for, they do this for Christmas. You get this thing, right? And you put it in the middle of your yard and you run out of extension cord and the thing inflates and does all kinds of crazy shit. And that's your Christmas decorations, right? Then when you're done with it, you unplug it, you hit deflate back in the box. You're talking an hour tops. On both sides of this. There's no ladders. Okay? There's no pounding the nails. There's no hanging hooks for these damn lights. Then you figure out you have a light out. So what do you got to do? You got to risk your life. Risk your spinal cord. Risk your brain. And get back on the ladder to go change the damn light. Gosh. Call me Scrooge. Call me Grinch can't stand it much less the ridiculous gifts you get now it's re-gifting i do oh i'm a criminal re-gifter good god in other news congratulations georgia bulldogs only took you 40 years i remember 1980 herschel walker billy was the coach congratulations for taking down the evil empire known as Alabama and I thought, I I chose Alabama a month ago. I knew Alabama was getting to that game, but boy they they really endured some serious injuries <clears throat> in the last couple games. And then one of their star wide receivers tore their ACL last night in the game against Georgia, which looked terrible. I feel bad for that kid. But uh great game. Congratulations to Georgia. <clears throat> and on a future rant, I will rant about the playoff system and and how it really needs to be expanded we'll go there um today's not going to be a long podcast because i've got to take down christmas lights um still don't feel good and one of my buddies just died so i gotta figure out what to do with it so um got some viewer mail today got some viewer mail today um some of the stuff we've heard before but it's worth repeating because it's going to happen to you going to happen <clears throat> going to happen over and over and you want to be the best you know you want to be the best defense attorney possible to learn how to deal with this stuff and um that's going to take it's going to take training and knowledge on your part gotta live you gotta learn learn from each other right watch the matrix this weekend one of my favorite movies particularly part one you got neo you got trinity yeah, got morpheus and what they're all trying to tell neo is hey you're the one you're the one but what is what does neo have to do to be the well first of all he doesn't believe it okay that's a problem second of all morpheus has to put him through all this training and what are you going to do in the training well he, as you know in the movie he fails a lot of the training but then in the end he gets there and it turns out he's the one Right. Well, as a trial attorney, you can be the one. Young trial attorneys, <clears throat> you can be the one. But what are you gonna need? You're gonna need training. Uh, you're gonna step in it a few times. Okay. You may have people that don't believe in you. But the more that you do things like read articles, go to conferences, okay. Hopefully good conferences, not the not the shit ones. Uh, listen to the podcast. <clears throat> okay. Or, you know, call somebody like me and bounce, bounce ideas off. It's a constant growing process in your career, young attorneys. So if you want to be Neo, you want to be the one, you're going to have to go through um, some good, some bad, some ugly, and you're going to have to learn. <clears throat> it's the only way, it's the only way to get better. And our first, uh, let's go into the mailbag here today, because this is a problem that you're all going to run into. It's a, it's a problem it is, uh, <clears throat> dear Bill, I have not only a defensive witness, but a young and inexperienced witness. What do I do? <clears throat> defensive witnesses are a big, big problem. I think defensive witnesses um, certainly need to lead to nuclear verdicts and settlements. Jurors don't like defensive people. I don't like defensive people, much less jurors. <clears throat> okay. And a lot of people come into litigation defensive. Now, this person appears to be a named defendant. Okay, so there's a emotional reaction. Okay, I, I I I get that. And the problem is, is that usually a lot of time has passed until you're doing your witness prep. So, so by the time the case is filed, they get the complaint, you start your initial discussions. By the time they get to like deposition preparation, oftentimes they're a raging lunatic because they're so angry and defensive. And then you mix that in with youth. Okay. You mix that in with youth and experience. Um, you've got a, you've got a problem. I just had a witness like this in the Midwest, um, by the way, I was, I was up in Iowa last week. It was minus 15 wind chill. Good God. I mean, I lived in Chicago for a while and you know now I live in Florida, but God, minus 15. Are you out of your mind? So how do you deal with these folks? Well, number one, you got to understand, particularly people that are under 40. Okay. These are a different generation of, uh, of people. Uh, they maybe the most defensive group I've ever run in, they're technically uh, millennials. And um, they're wired very differently. Uh, they're gonna come in hot and you have to address the emotional issues before you start jumping into the case. It's important to allow them to vent because these are young and well inexperienced, you know, typically high, high energy <clears throat> witnesses and a lot of it's gonna be negative energy. So allowing them to vent allowing them to get these negative emotions uh, off of their chest is really an important step one, as opposed to just jumping right into case. We've, we've talked about this before. Um, you jump right into the case. You start looking at documents. You start looking at records. You start looking at emails. Um, it's just going to make the witness worse. You've got to take time and we're not talking 15 minutes. It could be hours to get this person's head straight to let them vent some of that steam and to get them to a place. Well, well, they may, they may not be happy. they may be happy, but they can emotionally accept what's going on. They can breathe and they can, this is the important part here. They can commit to the process. And I promised them. I said, listen, throughout the process, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to vent. The deposition's not not one of them. So this recent witness that I had in the Midwest, um, I told her, you know, during the breaks, you know, a break every 45, 50 minutes, Mm. use that break to vent to your attorney, okay? Use that break to vent to your attorney. See, all these witnesses want to prove they did nothing wrong. Meaning they want to argue, they want to defend. And they want to do that with the, the plaintiff attorney, thinking that the plaintiff attorney is going to hear this this, this explanation and drop the case. Well, everybody on here knows that that just doesn't happen, but that's the, that's the tendency, that's just the way the brain, um, that's just the way the brain is, uh, is wired. And with the, the younger inexperienced folks, <clears throat> it's gonna take more time, <clears throat> it's gonna take more time. Um, you're gonna have to ask your client or your carrier, I'm talking to you trial attorneys, I need more time Yes, it's going to cost more money. I need more time with this witness because of their youth, because of their inexperience, and because of their emotion. That's the trifecta of big, big trouble, okay? And you can get there. It can work. I've done it hundreds and hundreds of times before. But those witnesses are different. They're going to require more hand-holding. They're going to require more Touches, what I just call touches. This is a technique I came up with you know, between witness prep meetings. Could be, this could be 30 days apart or whatever. You can't let that 30 days just go by. How about a couple phone calls? How about a Zoom call at day 15? Hey, how you doing? There's one thing I really teach trial attorneys to, to get a better handle on their witnesses is to communicate better with them because you come across like attorneys think about that you come across like attorneys and that's not what your witness needs sometimes they need the human being how are you feeling first thing i asked her i'm like how are you sleeping she's like i'm not sleeping i got see and the attorney looks at me wow i never thought to ask her that And i'm like well duh start asking those questions how about what are your eating habits like are you skipping meals cuz your stomach's turning sleep dietary behavior concentration are you able to concentrate at work are you having all these ruminating thoughts about this claim yeah i can't i can't concentrate at work okay these are simple questions that attorneys typically don't ask really really important questions because it has a therapeutic effect when that person can then tell you how they feel. trial attorneys, become better listeners, please. Okay, it's billable work, it's it's billable work, but take some time to, and yes, it's gonna be an armchair analysis, armchair assessment, be constantly assessing your witness's mental health. Another question, we've talked about this in the podcast, Is there anything else going on in your life that's exacerbating your anxiety about this case, your anger? Work with all these healthcare professionals. They're burnt out. So not only do they come in with the stress, anxiety, anger of the lawsuit, they've been dealing with people on ventilators. They've been dealing with COVID patients. Okay. Maybe they've had some personal experiences. I have a paper I haven't finished yet. <clears throat> it's, half, it's halfway through. Mm-hmm. And the title of the paper is going to, because look at what I just did. It's going to be called Vordering Your, your Witnesses. And it, when I say that, people look at me like, huh? No, you've the the jury. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> you got to you vordere your witnesses. Okay? Because think, what are you doing in jury selection? You're looking for people's fears, anxieties, bad experiences. You're looking for negative emotions. You're assessing that, and we're there, right, during the jury selection process. You need to do the same damn thing with your witnesses. And everybody skips this part. It can't just be a, hey, how you doing today? No, you have to ask these more specific questions. Ask, what else is going on in your life? How's things going with your family? Family healthy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How's work going? Mm-hmm. All kinds of stuff that's happened in people's lives that can really impact your witness preparation. So, you have a particularly, this is really, and this is with any witness, but the question here is about someone that's young and inexperienced and in defensive. I think this is really, 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 really important. The witness I talked to last week, she's, I mean, she was distraught because she's like, mm-hmm. I love my patients. I love my patients. I I bend over backwards for my patients. And this claim is really um, been emotionally emotionally damaging. And so being able to process that with the witness, I think, is absolutely critical. So trial attorneys, particularly younger trial attorneys, try not to just jump right into the case. Okay, yeah, you got to do a little bit of armchair psychology. I'll finish this paper here. I've been... Publishing out of my ass, so I I just you know I get a paper idea, I start it, I put it on the shelf, I finish a different one. Um, But there's really things that you can do with these witnesses that's not only going to give you more information about what's going on and let you properly assess them, but it's gonna it's gonna have a therapeutic effect on the witness. It's gonna make them a better witness. It's gonna make your prep easier. All right, because you know if you have a witness that's angry defensive anxious fearful and that's not being addressed your your preparation with them is going to be useless it's going to be useless there have have been some witness training sessions that i have began at nine at nine a.m and we don't even talk about the case until one o'clock p.m think about that it's four hours why because i got to get that witness there mentally to be ready to process information strategically. And if they're in amygdala hijack mode, right? And they're experiencing all these negative emotions, it's impossible for their brain to process the information effectively. That's why so many, a lot of depths and and trial testimony go bad because your prep sessions occurred in the wrong state of mind. And then, then you know, I I hate when I get the call from the attorney. Like, yeah, I spent three days with this witness. I went over everything. I told him or her exactly what. And then they they didn't listen to a word I said. And my response is exactly, they didn't listen to a word you said because they were incapable, cognitively incapable at the time, because you did not address their emotional issues. When people are emotional they don't learn well. They process information differently. They store information differently. Okay. We've talked about this in the podcast a a lot, and I'm going to keep going back to this because it's one of the main things I do in my career is to solve that problem for you. But I'm not going to be there every time, defense counsel. So you may want to talk about this. I wish defense Defense counsel don't talk to each other, but yeah, intra-firm, you know, if you have a partners meeting or an associates, meeting or just general attorney meeting. Somebody bring this up. Be nice if you all be on the same page. You're having an attorney meeting right in your main conference room. Hey, let's talk about witness preparation. Let's talk about some of these issues maybe we haven't thought about I listened to a bald guy in a podcast that told me how emotion screws up all of our witness prep and come up with a script. I got the script for If you want the script, just call me. Email me. I got a list of questions that you really need to ask every witness. And here's the nice thing. <clears throat> Some of these witnesses, the answer is going to be no, 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 no. I'm good. All right. Well, that gives you the green light to move forward. But if you don't, if you never ask those questions, there's going to be lingering emotional issues. I'm going to script your witness prep. All right. I'll work on that paper. I promise. You got to voir your witness. <laughs> I love that idea. You got to voir your witness. And then step two of this are those follow-ups between your official meetings, just to check in. Then it's like, Hey, this attorney is not so bad. This attorney cares about me. This attorney called me not to talk about the case, but to say, hey, how, how are you doing? Do you remember our last session? Mm-hmm. Right. Remember those things we talked about? Things getting better, sleeping a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Okay. This could be a 10 minute conversation does wonders. Okay, does absolute wonders. All right, what I get a lot of viewer mail. mail. I can't get through all of this. I'm gonna to have to go with, uh, through some of this with uh with Doctor Wood. Uh, dear Bill, what is a shadow jury? Oh, I haven't heard this term in a long time. What is a shadow jury? Let's talk about this. Mm-mm. I've done a couple of, these, couple of these back in the day, not recently because I don't have the time, number one, and no one wants to pay for it. <clears throat> so what a shadow jury or what CSI, courtroom sciences would call a mirror jury is where, okay, try to follow me here. So you're going to recruit a pool, let's say 50 mock jurors and you're going to have them in the hotel in the conference room <clears throat> uh, across the street. From the courthouse and you're gonna collect all their demographic information and they're gonna sit there and they're gonna do nothing while the real jury selection is going on as jurors start to get picked you're going to match okay follow me you're gonna go to your mock jurors and pluck out somebody that matches the person that just got put in the box and whether it be six a 12 person jury okay you're gonna you're gonna mirror that jury with your mock jury pool. Now, are you gonna do a one for one ratio? Typically, not. If you have a group of twelve, you know, clients oftentimes just want to pay for six people, right? That match six of them. You, you could do one for ones It's extraordinarily expensive, but you're gonna do a mock, mock. Uh, you get the mock jurors, and as the as the uh, the jury box gets full, you're going to match on your end. Okay. Now, once the trial starts, you're you're going to instruct these four to 12 people that you've recruited and that you're going to pay very handsomely for roughly 12 hours a day. You're going to instruct them to go over to the courtroom, to spread out, to not to talk and to watch everything take notes okay during breaks during lunch breaks they will come back you're going to focus group the group that was in the courtroom okay the group so you have your mock jury this is like doing a mock jury at a real trial you're going to poll them you're going to hand them questionnaires you're going to question them you're going to focus group them (laughs) after lunch back in the courtroom you know witness evaluations What do you think of the opening statement? Okay, what did you think of this expert witness? They're going to fill a ton of questionnaires. With the purpose being, you're going to shadow or mirror what's going on. And so you can know if things are going good or bad day by day at the trial. During the evenings, okay, so now you got to feed them. During the evenings, you're going to talk to them for a couple hours on what they thought uh, during the day. And then you're going to take that information And you're going to share it with the trial team to determine what's our strategy for tomorrow. What do we need to be doing more of? What do we need to be doing less of? Um, This is a practice that was very popular, say, about 10 years ago, 10 to 20 years ago. Um, Judges don't like it. I can tell you that. Judges really don't like it. Uh, Plaintiff's counsel typically figures it out but I've seen plaintiff attorneys do this too. Um, I think the reason why it doesn't have, it's a, if you think about it, it's kind of a brilliant idea. Um, at the same time, it's extraordinarily expensive. So I see this more on the commercial litigation side of things, where really oftentimes money's no object. And, and then you, um, you go day by day at your trial and you're using your mock jury to give you feedback on how it's going. Uh, I've done a couple of them. Um, I've heard good things. I've heard bad things. I've heard where it's been an ex- extraordinary weapon um, and, and valuable resource. I've heard the opposite where they, the results came back opposite. <laughs> um, so going for, I mean, I'm not a big fan. I think it's um, I think what should happen more is hiring I'm not doing it because I don't have the time for it, but hiring uh, like one of my colleagues, you know, maybe Dr. Wood and have him sit in on the first three days of trial, which by the way, often determine your fate, but to have a jury consultant sit in on openings, particularly plaintiff's case, key witnesses, evaluating witnesses. Uh, I think it's very, very helpful. Give feedback on how the openings went give feedback on, juror body language i think that's really really valuable Now, problem with that now is that a lot of jurors if not all jurors are wearing masks so body language facial expressions not really easy to to judge at this point but those are called shadow juries or if you want to go the courtroom sciences route that would be called a mirror jury again not done a lot <laughs> haven't seen one in a while Um, I think it's mostly because of cost. It's really difficult to coordinate. And um, again, it's not the most scientific process. But if you're interested, contact me. I'll give you more. But um, they have been used. They have been used. Very, very expensive. All right. Plowing straight ahead. Oh, God, more witness stuff. Um, oh no, no, this is good. This is a good question. Uh, Dear Bill, how is commercial litigation different than personal industry or catastrophic injury uh, or death um, cases? It's very different. I'll tell you this. It's actually, um, it's far more tense and emotional. When you have two companies going after each other, and you have reputations on the line. So we're talking things like copyright, um, employees leave, make their you know non non compete, <clears throat> um, defamation, <clears throat> okay, um, business deals going wrong. Wow, I mean, the emotion in those cases, I think, is just as high, if not higher, <clears throat> as the catastrophic injury and death cases, <clears throat> um, and I think. A lot of it is because you have so much um, correspondence evidence, which is typically in the form of, you know, emails, contracts, you know, things like that. Um, You know, Zoom meetings where somebody said something. And uh, these business folks, I mean, they're out for blood, particularly if one business is trying to hurt another business. If one business is trying to take business, from another business or claim they came up with a, uh, an idea for a certain <clears throat> product or advertising. Uh, there's a lot of bad blood, bad blood out there. Um, I think the worst is when you have an employee that leaves and then joins a competitor. <clears throat> and then those two get into it. <clears throat> um, I find working with those witnesses <clears throat> to be uh, very difficult because <clears throat> they're mad. They're really mad. Talk about defensive, but they're really, really mad. And the the problem that you have there is that you typically have either contract language or discussions or email language, um, you know, that show that show a problem. <clears throat> um, a lot of things that uh, don't look good, usually for either side. <laughs> uh, when we do focus groups and mock trials with that. This is where it's kind of, it gets funny. Mock jurors have zero sympathy for corporations. (laughs) So when you have two corporations, essentially fighting over money, right? That's what they're fighting over. Uh, There's very little sympathy. Now, if you're a a plaintiff or defendant uh, in commercial litigation, and by the way, many of our defense clients, corporate clients hire us when they are the plaintiff when they get involved in one of these disputes and um um, again a lot a lot of emotion um a lot of anger but uh i think the key to those cases is you can create sympathy in one of those cases if you do it the right way particularly if you're on the plaintiff's side of a corporation and you can show how you've been been wronged uh you can show how this has um you know done a lot of damage but it all comes down to the witness testimony that's the key you have this is see typically like in personal injury right you know all the plaintiff witnesses are are the plaintiffs or family members that that stuff right and then all the defense witnesses are corporate people right they're employees um, you come the business litigation commercial litigation Everybody's corporate. So the battle of witnesses is really, really really rubber meets the road there. And if you have angry, arrogant uh, business litigation, I mean, greedy uh, witnesses, that's gonna be a problem. Even if you're in the right, right? Even if you're in the right. Yeah, and some of this like contract, these contract disputes, Jurors don't understand contracts. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's so difficult for them. And so what they typically do is they put a lot more weight on the witness testimony than they do the actual written word of the contract. And that witness testimony is so important. So if you, if anybody does witness, um, I'm sorry, anybody that does commercial litigation, those those cases can get just as vicious. I think that they can get more vicious Um uh, than other cases because you, again you have uh, sometimes you have media <clears throat> media involved you know covering the case there, there's a lot of um, um, things that can happen you know publicly with those cases that can hurt company reputation um, you don't want that and it hurts both companies so yeah business litigation very very different very very different but again the keys yeah you gotta ha- you gotta have your story. Okay, you gotta have your witnesses coming across as professional, likable, credible, truthful, Um, and then you know a lot of the contract stuff is just you know it's gonna get lost in the shuffle because it's so it is so confusing. Okay, last question. Then we're gonna wrap this up. Uh, Dear Bill, is it okay if I reptile my co-defendant who's adverse to me? Hell yeah, yeah. You gotta learn how to do it you gotta learn how to do it we've done this multiple times that's where we came out with the reverse reptile method we published a paper on that paul motz and i from chicago because he had the same issue he had a uh, defendant that was adverse to him he was in trouble and so we reptiled there the co-defendant's expert and it it, it completely changed the case Uh, so can you um, yeah, when warranted. I mean, if you have a co-defendant um, pointing fingers at you, uh, blaming you, blaming your people, your company, uh, that is a way to go with that. But I think you have to learn how to do it. So I've been hired multiple times to script out a cross-examination. That's reptile for a co-defendant. Um, now, similarly, and I mean, you can reptile an actual plaintiff. You just got to be careful what type of case it is Um, on a birth injury case, you're not going to reptile a plaintiff. Right. But uh, on other cases, um, if there is conduct that could be considered dangerous or unsafe, you totally do that. I think it's just knowing what you're doing, educating yourself. We have several papers out there that kind of really outline exactly how to um, author these reptile questions. You can definitely do it. You just got to be careful. It's not going to be appropriate in every case. And if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to look like an idiot. Okay, You've seen those plant fraternities that try to use reptile, but they never really went to the training. They just read a couple articles. And I mean, the wheels come off really fast with a prepared witness. So can you do it? Yes. Should you do it? Maybe. Maybe. Um, Seek consultation. See what the ups and downs uh, um, of that would be. But I think in some cases... Uh, You have a co-defendant that's really pointing the finger at you. You got a higher exposure case. That's really not a bad idea. Just learn how to do it. All right. I have to go clean up Christmas lights. Not very happy about that. Um, But um, we need to get 2022 back on track because it got derailed pretty quickly. We're not even two weeks in and it is a complete shit show on many levels. Um. Again, congratulations, University of Georgia, all my clients that are Georgia grads, uh, go dogs, okay, go dogs, 1980, waited a long time, Uh, we have some very interesting guests coming up over the next few weeks, so please uh, stay tuned for that, and actually, I do have some good, I want to end this podcast, a very somber podcast, I want to end this podcast (laughs) on a very positive note, and I I can prove this. The insurance defense industry has kind of woken up a little bit. I am getting phone calls from people saying, we want to do jury research. We want to do more witness prep. We want to spend more money than we usually do because we don't want to get one of these nuclear. The message has been received. Okay. I'm so happy because I'm not arguing with people anymore about the value. They know that I think they've always known the value. But again, a lot of calls going, we know we got to do this and we know it's expensive, but we've, we've learned the hard, we don't want to learn the hard way anymore. We really want to find out what the true exposure here is on this case. We want to find out where are we at on liability, where are we at on apportionment, where are we at on economic and non-economic damages? Well, those answers are out there, but you got to put in the time, the effort and yeah, the money. But boy, in the last couple of months here, I could tell you the phone's been ringing and the attorneys and insurance people that are calling me have very different attitudes now. I think it's because um, all of these nuclear verdicts have been happening in the last couple of years. Hopefully it's because of the articles that we've sent out. Hopefully it's because all of the, I've done 150 nuclear verdict presentations over the last two years, doing them every week, sometimes multiple times a week. <clears throat> On this podcast, we talk about, the nuclear verdicts a lot so i think hopefully word is getting out and that's going to give uh, defense counsel um, a lot of weaponry uh, to use going forward to prevent these nuclear settlements prevent these nuclear verdicts all right for uh, we really really thank you guys uh, for listening Uh, litigation psychology podcast brought to you by courtroom sciences thank you so much and we will see you next time bye